this computer. Hi, good morning, everybody. Always, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Vallejo podcast. We are very honored to have Ms. Gina Ortiz Jones on today, uh, very early, and we're on Twitter, uh, uh, Twitter Live and Facebook Live with Pablo, and we're very excited to have her on. Um, of course, a lot of things happen in El Paso right now. Uh, we got an extra week of vacation due intercession due to the COVID numbers that are not falling. So with that, I'm going to introduce Ms. Jones. Thank you, Ms. Jones, for joining us. Alex, thank you for having me. Good to be with you, Pablo. Good morning. Thank you. And Pablo is also with us. Thank you very much, Pablo. Um, so Ms. Jones, real quick, I know we have you for a short period of time, so we want to get everything in. Uh, we focus here on the Via Pablo podcast on public education. What is your stance on public education? Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I am a proud product of public education. Actually, first, let me let me roll back. Um, uh, you know, I want to express my sympathies to to those that are have unfortunately lost somebody to COVID nineteen. Um, and as I as I watch the news and unfortunately hear about what's happening in, in El Paso, um, you know, these cases are spiking again. And I want to express my my sympathies to to those that are that are suffering um, either due to COVID nineteen or the economic crisis. It's just so important we get this pandemic under control. I mean, as you mentioned. We've got an extra week of, of intercession, um, and it's it's critical that we get our kids back in the classroom um, safely as, as possible, and our teachers as safely as possible as well. Um, you know, I'm a proud product of public education here in, here in San Antonio, uh, Adams Hill, Pease Middle School, John Jay High School, and all of that prepared me to serve our country. And you look, I was raised by a single mom, you know, reduced lunch, subsidized housing, those were critical investments, not handouts, investments. They allowed me to earn that four-year Air Force ROTC scholarship that allowed me to serve our country, protecting our economic and our national security for almost 15 years. And so I think public education is the foundation of our, of our country, of our democracy, and it is absolutely the, the path to making sure that our country is as strong as it can be. You know, I know Pablo's a, a veteran, and you know, in many of the countries uh, that I've served in, I'm sure it may be the case also for you, Pablo, you go into these countries and you see immediately that part of the problem is that there are very few people at the top with a lot of the resources and a lot of people at the bottom fighting for scraps. And so that happens, I think, when um, when countries and, and civil societies don't invest in the basics, right? They don't invest in public education. They don't invest in, in quality health care. They don't invest in making sure they've got institutions that are serving the people. Um, so when it comes specifically to public education, I think it's important we are preparing our students for the future. So not only should we be investing in our, our teachers, making sure they've got the professional development and the resources in the classroom. I mean, when my friends who are public education teachers here at Title I schools and they tell me how much they, one, they, how much they make, two, how much they pay out of pocket, right? Um, it's, uh, it's egregious. And I, I think we've got to make sure we are investing in teachers, not only when they're in the classroom, but also when they retire, right? I mean, the fact that our teachers can't, uh, they can collect TRS, but that means they can't collect a full social security. I think that's wrong. Um, and we also know that disproportionately affects women, right? Given how women are, are overrepresented in, in the teaching profession. So let's invest in the classroom, let's invest in professional development. Let's also invest in uh, vocational training, advanced skills training. Unfortunately for too long in many of our, in our high schools, you know, this has gone by the wayside. Unfortunately, the state has cut, cut, cut and the school districts are trying to make it work. You know, where do they cut? They cut vocational training. Um, unfortunately, 
unfortunately, that is meant that, you know, many young kids don't have, um, if they don't want to go to college, that's okay, but we need, they need some type of skill set, and, and we need to be investing in that so we have a strong uh, economy as, as possible. So um, I, I will say one more thing, just because it's, it's so critical here, and I imagine it's also the case in, in El Paso, is um, investing in community colleges. You know, here in, in San Antonio, um, Texas A&M San, at San Antonio, UTSA at San Antonio, Alex, half of the kids spend some time at Alamo Community Colleges District, right? So that's a key bridge for folks getting into a four-year university if they want to. And, and so when I read about, you know, the number of, of students that have not returned to community colleges, either, you know, they can't afford it, or two, um, they, they don't have something as simple as a broadband connection to be able to access their classes. You know, we're gonna lose a generation of first generation college students if we don't quickly address, um, and get some assistance back to, to these students so they can safely one, get in the classroom, also just make sure that they're, they're attending their, um, that they're completing their, their coursework. We, we just can't leave folks behind and we're already seeing the ways in which um, public education and, um, and higher education is being affected by, by this pandemic and economic crisis. Right, right, thank you. Now, we did interview Mr. Gonzalez and we did have that question where he, um, in his website, he talks about charter schools, public schools, uh, private schools having the same funding. And he did say he wanted equality for all of them. What is, when we talk about equality, we're talking about taxpayer money going to charter schools and going to private schools along with Ms. DeVos's plan. Now, that's a big- You're being generous and calling, you're being generous and calling Secretary DeVos's plan a plan. <laughs> no, it's just, it's stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. That's exactly what it is. And, that's, that's, that's how I call it. Exactly. Yes, ma'am. And, and those are things that, that makes me upset because as a public school teacher, we know right now uh, El Paso being uh, infested with charter schools that choose the kids, they steal money from, from our public schools and with not, the same transparency and not the same uh, laws that we have to follow in public schools. Now, what do you say to charters? What do you say to private schools that want money and vouchers and that kind of thing? What, what do we do to help our failing, not our failing public schools, but our, our money strapped school public schools when Charters get to pick and choose their kids and public schools do uh, private schools. I'm sorry, do the same, but they use public funds, public tax money. How do we get away from that? Not stealing tax money to give to charters and to private schools and give it back to our public schools. How do we do that? Yeah, well, I, I think you I rightly identified some of the challenges with, with charter schools. And, and I think what you hit the nail on the head, we need additional transparency um, into how the money is used, um, into how kids are selected, let's be very clear, um, because that additional transparency leads to additional accountability. And we have to be accountable to, to your point, to the taxpayers and, and frankly, to our country's future. Um, and when, when we have, um, uh, as you point out, charter schools that have a lower rate of, of kids with special needs, um, and that means that those kids are in our public schools and, and we are, are shouldering more of, the, of, the, of those costs there um, when teachers don't have to be certified. 
right? I mean, that's a huge concern. I, 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 they, again, we all want to move in the same direction. Our kids need a quality public education. They need to be prepared for the future. Okay, well, how do we do that? We do that with certified teachers. We do that with every kid having the exact same shot. Um, and, and, and we have additional transparency into how that money is being spent. I'll be honest, when I read stories about these private jets and these Spurs right. box tickets, right. Uh, that is not how taxpayer funded taxpayer funds for public education should be used. I don't that argument doesn't compute. Right. right. Um, but again, you know, we've got to get back to to people understanding the things that are um, in the public interest and, you know, people that are more concerned with turning a profit than educating our kids, people that are more concerned with turning a profit than making sure people are healthy in our communities. You know, we have to, you know, I think, unfortunately, something has happened in our country where, um, where, where people have uh, failed to understand, you know, we're in this together, right? We need to be investing in the things that strengthen our middle class um, and make sure that we're moving in the right direction. So much of this has been um, profitized, um, unfortunately, to the detriment of already the most vulnerable communities. Right, right. Thank you. So along with that, let's you know, very clear. let's be very clear, you know, Pablo and I both served and yes. we understand, you know, national security isn't just ships and tanks and planes, right? right? National security is how prepared our kids are to think, how prepared our kids are to serve, right? And, you know, 25 years ago, the number one indicator of a child's success was their parents' skin color. Now the number one indicator is their parents' income level. Exactly. And so if we have growing inequity in our society, people don't have the same opportunities based purely on income, their family's income, which is tied to their zip code, um, then that just exacerbates the inequities in our, in our countries. And I think that's so critical because again, when you, when you look in other countries, how those communities break down, it's when, it's when people don't feel like they have a fair shot. When they right. feel like the system is, uh, isn't set up for everybody to succeed, it's only set up for a certain class of people to succeed, that's when countries break down. Right, right. Thank you. Pablo? Um, no, I, I mean, Mr. T uh, Artis Jones, you hit a lot of stuff. Gina's, that, Gina's okay. Call me Gina. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you. You know, um, I, I will say this. We did have our kids at a charter school for one year, and it was not – it was – there were certain things that were okay, but the bigger picture of it, was yes, a lot of things that you guys described that you yourself described that Alex has talked about. And that's essentially why we left and we decided to go back to the public school. That was a public, you know, there's still things that the public school system has flaws, but it, it's still much better. And everybody can always fine tune. There's always things to fix. But through my experience, yeah, charter schools was not a good one at all. And you're right, they're their special education system through the experience that we had it's it's gonna fail kids it's not even in place to to help kids with special needs well you're exactly right and it's gonna fail kids because it's not designed to serve them right exactly that's, that's what fails them yeah exactly and so i'm glad that i'm i'm hearing what i'm hearing uh and i'm speaking through experience so that that, that brings some comfort close to home um but my question here for you know a lot of the community here in socorro um, through past uh, congressmen that have been here, you know, being a veteran, I try to reach out to them, you know, when I was going through the VA system and stuff like that, it was very hard to, to even see my local congressmen and they were never really around or very active in the community. 
I've seen some here a little bit, a little bit more active, but I always feel like Socorro gets forgotten about. So I guess what is your plans for here, Socorro? I mean, bringing whether it be infrastructure or I mean anything here to Socorro because it's small and we're just growing, but we keep getting left out, forgotten about. Yeah, question. You know, I get my own care through the VA. And um, I know I'm thankful for it, uh, but I know there are some improvements. And, you know, I live here in, in San Antonio, which is a big city, and I still have problems with it. So I can only imagine, and I've heard from the stories of, of you know, our older veterans in particular that live in our rural communities, that um, they, it, it's very, very difficult, not just to work the system, right, getting online or making a phone call, and, and sometimes customer service isn't what it needs to be. I can tell you that for sure. Um, but, but also just the challenge, um, as we saw during this pandemic, you know, if somebody can't show up into the clinic, um, for example, I was actually supposed to have physical therapy and they, because of the pandemic, they had to do telephysical therapy, which is not ideal, but you know, it's better than nothing. And they even had a delay. There was probably about a, a almost a, a month and a half delay until when that started. And so, you know, the VA, um, uh, for them to have those types of delays means not only we need to be investing in the infrastructure so that they can provide quality services to all veterans wherever they live, but as you point out, in many places, you know, having that broadband is also so so critical, so they can tap into that and and make sure that um, veterans have the care that they need whenever they need it. Um, uh, I think it's important also that we are, you know, as a female veteran, as and female veterans are one of the are one of the fastest groups, you know, rising in the veteran population. Making sure that the VA is ready to serve all veterans, right? And and unfortunately, you know, I, when I hear of female veterans not wanting to get their care at the VA, or um, just because of, of processes, or frankly, you know, bedside bedside manner, you know, that's a real concern because we made a promise to serve all veterans, and and we should keep that. And so I. I think, you know, I look forward to, to, to making sure that um, the VA lives up to its, to its promise to all veterans. Um, when it comes to so Socorro and, and the Lower Valley, look, there are 29 counties in this district. All of them are as important as any other. And, you know, I've, before the pandemic, I was all over this district. You know, I've, many a meal I've had at Mamacitas and Clint, right? I've even been to the Corn Festival uh, with, the, with the Tiguas there at uh, St. Anthony, I believe is the, is the church. It's a very beautiful mass, by the way. Um, you know, and so I know how important it is that we frankly, make sure that there's not arsenic in, in the water in Tornillo, make sure that our farmers have the resources that, that they need. Yes, it's a large district, but if you are motivated by making sure everybody is well served, um, then you'll put in the effort. And um, I think it's also very important, though, that you always prioritize people's health. And this is a pandemic. And I'll be honest, when I see my opponent having these, he just had one in, in the lower valley uh, about a week ago, I think. He's wearing indoors, maskless, in person, it is such a disregard to the health of our communities um, and, and frankly, our ability to safely open up the economy. So I think you have to lead by example. And when medical experts say, wear a mask, right? Minimize indoor activities with, with folks that are not in your immediate circle, then you listen because it's not just about me and my family, it's about all of us. And as, you know, as, as just been pointed out here, the sooner we get this pandemic under control, the sooner kids can get back into the classroom, people can get back to work, we can safely open up the bridges again so our economies can go, get going, right? That's what it takes. But when people are putting their political ambitions above everything else, um, I think you, that, that they, they're showing you their character loud and clear. 
Okay. And then I will say one more thing, you know, when it comes to VA, the VA, because we saw this during the pandemic, um, that our veteran um, uh, nursing homes were a real hotspot. And, you know, just about a year and a half ago, I want to say the GAO, Government Accountability Office, they put out a report, they did an investigation about all of these across the country, and they made a list of things, hey, you need to do this, you need to be more transparent on this. And, and unfortunately, not all of those recommendations have been implemented in a timely manner. And we're seeing the consequences of that as our, as our veterans in these facilities um, have unfortunately been, been dramatically affected uh, to include the one there in, in El Paso. So, you know, it, it, it's about making sure that we're providing the care to our veterans, but also when there, are, when, when there are real steps we can be taking to make sure they've got great care, we need to implement those. And if they're not implementing them, we need to figure out why, right? So I look forward to doing that. And that, that kind of brings me up to, I mean, you've hit, you talked a lot about the, the healthcare too, and that's where my next question brings. So can you elaborate a little bit more? And you, I know you already answered some of it, but as far as the VA healthcare system, whether it be the disability claims, the times, and so the consistency, and you know how the process works, you pretty much get, it's almost a given you're going to get denied and you got to fight and you got to be, you got to fight and you got to fight. So what is your take on, on that, on those, on the healthcare system itself? the claims and the constant denials? You know, I am, so I've chatted there with Efron Montalongo, your veteran services officer, who's actually really, he's really good. And I think we, I know he's a state officer, um, but you know, it is really, it's people like him that are knowledgeable in, in the process and, you know, have the attitude to get it done. I think, you know, we, as you know, right, we can, we can have a great process in place, but if we don't have people like Efron Montalongo who are resourced, who um, are able to, to, you know, have the, the right attitude in, in getting it done, I think uh, that's, when, that's when this process breaks down. So I think investing in um, people to make sure that we're expediting this. I think, you know, I'd have to, re I don't have all the access to the exact process right now, but I think, you know, certainly a review to make sure that we're being as efficient as we can be. We're not needlessly pushing people to different places. I will also say this, especially in our rural areas, um, especially with our older veterans, um, we've seen how, you know, they, unfortunately they pass away. And then that's when you find out their paperwork's not up to date. And then unfortunately their wife, their partner doesn't get all the benefits that they should, that they earned because their paperwork's not up to date. So I absolutely want to make sure we're being as efficient and, and timely as we can with processing these, these claims, but also we need to invest in the resources to make sure that people are getting their full, their full benefits, right. Them and their, and their survivor. Um, I think that's so critical. Okay. Uh, thank you. Okay, um, Ms. Jones, now we, the reason we started this podcast was a lot because our, our Socorro people, the people of Socorro don't have Medicare. They don't. A lot of people travel to Mexico to get Medicare. And the biggest reason we started this was because it's not fair to bring those kids back because they don't have a laptop. They don't have hotspots. Now, we know that Texas did not expand on Medicare. Our governor did not get into Medicaid. Yeah. Medicaid, Medicaid, I'm sorry, Medicaid. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah, Medicaid, not Medicare, Medicaid. Now, when the SEA came in, it helped a lot of people. It made a lot of people angry. But now that it's it's on the cusp, if something goes left or right during this this election, people could lose healthcare. Now. How do we help people in Socorro with the ACA? 
Yeah. So thank you for this question. And let me, let me tell you a little bit about why this is so important to me and, and personal to me. Um, one, I was raised by a single mom. So I know exactly what it's like when your healthcare plan is, I hope you don't get sick. Right. Um, but also when I came back from my Iraq deployment, um, I'll never forget standing in my mom's kitchen. And um, she told me that while I was deployed, she'd been diagnosed with colon cancer, had the surgery to have it removed and was already undergoing chemotherapy. And, you know, I may, I, I remember the fear, like it was yesterday, the fear I could lose my mom and the fear that that could bankrupt us. Right. right. Um, thankfully, though, she had good insurance through her job as a public school teacher here at Harlandale Independent School District, and that gave her a fighting chance. And I want to make sure that all families have that same fighting chance. And especially, look, during this pandemic, an economic crisis, it starts with quality, affordable health care. People got to be able to show up healthy enough to work. Right. Kids got to be healthy enough to be in the classroom. Um, and so I want to protect and expand the ACA. And to your point, I want to include a public option. And part of that public option, Alex, is a premium free coverage for those that would have Medicaid if their states expanded. You know, look, we can't wait anymore on this governor to find the courage to do the right thing. And so we've got to do it. And we look, one point before the pandemic, 1.5 million Texans are going without um, Medicaid uh, just because this governor won't expand. That is 30% of the non-elderly uninsured in our state, 30%. So I think we should have expanded Medicaid a long time ago. Uh, my plan, uh, a public option that includes coverage for those folks is the way to do it. And it was 1.5 million before the pandemic. We know it's higher now because people have lost their jobs and they've lost their insurance. Um, this is a real difference between my opponent and myself. My opponent wants to eliminate the ACA, right? Eliminate the ACA and its protections for people with pre-existing conditions. Um, you, you have insurance through, your, through the school district. So you know what it means that, you know, we, he wants to go back to a time where insurance companies could deny you coverage, jack up your premiums just because you have a pre-existing condition, right? They won't cover you now because when you were five years old, you had asthma right? or because you have hypertension or because you're a cancer survivor like my mom or because you're a COVID-19 survivor. You know, I have met um, a coronavirus survivor, four years old, four years old, Daniela and her brother, Timothy. And um, to think that one, we don't even know all the healthcare complications for young kids uh, as a result of surviving COVID-19, right? Thankfully they've survived, but we know they're gonna need quality affordable healthcare. And under my opponent's plan, Tony Gonzalez, he wants to eliminate those protections. That means for the rest of Daniela's life, insurance companies could say, nope, don't have to cover you, or you know, we'll cover you, but we've got to pay this crazy amount, which essentially makes it unattainable. Um, and he's been repeatedly asked, let's be clear now, let's be clear. He's been asked repeatedly, what is your plan to protect these people once you take away the one law that is protecting them now? 500 days, y'all, 500 days he's been running. He doesn't have a plan. Look on his website, look on his website right now. Go to the issues page. There's not a doggone thing on there about healthcare, right? And so, to take somebody's healthcare away during a pandemic shows you all you need to know about his healthcare plan. And let's be clear, the numbers don't lie. I mean, you work with kids, right. um, the numbers don't lie. Since this administration took office and they've been working to repeal the ACA, over 700,000 more kids have become uninsured, 700,000. 
over almost 250,000 of those kids live here in Texas. And so when these people fail us at the federal level, and then you have people like Tony Gonzalez just saying these nonsensical things, it affects our kids the most. One in 10 kids in this country calls Texas home, one in 10. 45% of our kids in Texas rely on CHIP or Medicaid for insurance. So what happens in Texas matters because we have such an outsized effect on the direction of the academic preparedness of our young people, just the sheer health of the country. And so, you know, that's why we've got to ask the tough questions. What's your plan? And if you can't answer that very simple question that could essentially be the difference between life and death for somebody, well, you know, you don't deserve to serve because you don't know what you're talking about. You don't have a plan. It's going to cost people their lives. Thank you. Yeah. I, I know we're getting heated at I know we're getting heated at nine o'clock, eight o'clock your time, but hey, this is healthcare now. Yeah, it is healthcare. We're not talking, and, about, we're not talking about my breakfast tacos, right? We're talking about healthcare. So and, and those are the things that uh that we talk about here because you know our kids right now, when you go back to school and school and the numbers now, and we look crazy then. Pablo gave him on the news. I was we were talking about how well nobody's sticking up for Socorro. No, right now they're not. And even our school districts, we have a hard time saying, why are you sending these kids back? When if they get sick, they don't have, we're not in another part of the city where, where you have, you know, lucky for us that our kids do have healthcare, but not everybody in Socorro has that. And, and that's a problem with me with sending the kids back. New York has a 3% rate right now, and they're canceling schools because of the micro clusters. And that's block by block. Now that's a that's a failure on the on the federal federal level where there is no contact tracing and now you know I think we have a lot of issues with with sports happening and I understand sports and we've our Socorro football team just got quarantined because they played another school with in a in another part of El Paso and and that happens but our kids don't get the COVID testing because it, it may cost too much or they don't have any insurance or they just have two jobs to keep themselves going. And those are things that we're, we're, and that's, I told, I think I had somebody asked me about uh, Mr. Gonzalez and I said, I don't think we're going to have a John McCain moment where he puts his thumbs down on the ACA and keeps it alive. And, and that's my, my figure. And that's the way I looked at it at the time they asked me about Mr. Gonzalez. I might be wrong, but I, I just those things linger in my mind because a lot of our community is uh, economically, you know, so so low. Yeah, Gonzalez, we're, uh, go ahead, Pablo. No, and I just wanted to add that to that, especially here. You know, a lot of the families that we've seen that we've talked to, parents, a lot of them either live with grandma and grandpa or their their uncles, or you know, there's multi generations in a household because obviously the income is not there to like myself or Alex or we're able to sustain our own homes. But when, if they're already at that point, what are the odds that they're gonna be able to afford or have health insurance? Now you're putting everybody else, especially the elderly. We know that the COVID is attacking the elderly much more harsh. And why are we jeopardizing? I understand the kids wanna go, you know, mental health, maybe the sports is a good outlet for it, but at what cost? And it seems like it's coming at a cost that it can, it can affect their grandparents, their their uncles, or aunts, or maybe even their parents that are already at an older age. So, so yeah, it's just sad that here in Socorro, this is what we see. 
this is what we hear and they're scared just like alex said to go and get COVID testing because they don't have the money or how are we going to do it? And they're being forced to work because they have, they need the health insurance if they have it. And they're kind of in a situation where it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's unfortunate, but this is also this is a leadership issue, right? I mean, you know, in the military, this is about leadership. And for this administration, they, they've been, they've been lying, they've been denying, distracting, dislay, delaying, not taking the steps to make sure that the most vulnerable communities like many in, in the lower valley are ready for this. It's inexcusable. I mean, it's October 20th and we still don't have a national testing strategy, right? We still don't have enough contact tracers. We still don't have enough PPE for, for, for some of our, our hospitals. It's inexcusable. And, and, and that's why we've got to make sure that, you know, the, the representative for Texas 23rd Congressional District is ready to throw down on what matters most and it's quality, affordable healthcare. And look, health, the, the intersection, I mean, I don't want to explain to you, Alex, you know it better than me, but like the intersection between healthcare and, and public education couldn't be clearer in a place like, than in a state like Texas. You know, one of the meetings I had early on, I met with um, uh, Dr. Uh, Brian Woods here in, in uh, San Antonio. He leads Northside Independent School District, which is 110,000 kids. It's the fourth largest in the state of Texas. And, and he was saying that, you know, one of the um, things that they were looking at investing in is um, uh, school district funded clinics. Right, uh, because too many kids are, are missing school. And look, if the kid is not healthy enough to be in the classroom, well, then we've got to fix that. And so this idea of, well, how do we pay for your healthcare? How do like, we're already paying for it. You know, what is the cost of people not showing up to work because they're not healthy? What is the cost of kids not academically, you know, excelling in the classroom because they're not healthy enough to be in the classroom? So we've got to think about, you know, the cost to our communities and to our society of failing to invest in public health um, and, and what that means for the most for the most vulnerable, but ultimately for our economy's strength. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Jones. Uh, I, I want to honor your time. Uh, we'll give you the last if you have anything to say to our, uh, our audience. Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for, for, for tuning in. Um, I really appreciated the time, Alex and, and Pablo. Look, early voting has already started. Please make a plan to vote. Vote early. Get all your friends and your family members, your community members to vote. There's just too much at stake. You know, as we described here, um, public education is on the ballot. Health care is on the ballot common sense gun reform is on the ballot. I mean, we didn't talk about it, but look, my opponent is proudly endorsed by the man whose words and actions led to the largest massacre of Latinos in American history. Let's be, let's be clear about what we're facing. Let's be clear. So I would be honored to have your vote. Um, please make sure you get out and vote and vote safely. Take care. Thank you so much, Ms. Jones. Thank you. Thank you so much for everybody for joining us. Uh, we're going to walk our vote right now. We'll be out in a while right? at nine o'clock here in Socorro. We appreciate your time, Ms. Jones, and please have a good day. Thank you so much. Thanks. Likewise. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye.